Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, February 17th, 2012. <laughs> oh, man. Right before I went on the air. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Craziest link. Oh, my. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There, Well, there's just no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And, uh, you know, and pointing out the fact that what's being said is not biblical, is not what God's word teaches, well, it's a dangerous business. It's a dicey business. It could get you in trouble. It could get you fired. It can get you taken off the air, which is one of the reasons why we have Pirate Christian Radio, because <clears throat> we know that some of the things we do here at Pirate Christian Radio on some of our programs would not fly on, uh, you know, like the Salem Network or, you know, things like that. So, yeah, so we broadcast outside of the system. Our, we broadcast our pirate signal into the matrix, if you would, uh, in order to tell people, hey, stop, listen, discern what people are saying. Uh, open up your Bible and critique it. See if what people are telling you in the name of God to the word of God is actually what God's word says. There's, uh, you know, Scripture tells us so clearly that a little leaven, not a lot, a little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. False doctrine is not a good thing. Bible twisting is not one of those things that's that God is neutral about. You know, you have, you, <laughs> you know, you ever get those like customer satisfaction surveys? Yeah, yeah. I I just I ugh, hate those things. And you know, but I understand. I mean, I've spent time in the marketing ranks. You need to, you know, have feedback from your customers. I'm just wondering if that's like the best tool for the job. But anyway, you get those customer satisfaction surveys and they'll say, you know, how satisfied were were you with our product? And you know, were you very satisfied, just satisfied, you know, neutral? Ne neutral. I I don't know. I was I didn't feel satisfied or dissatisfied. I just felt uh, neutral, you know, so you hit neutral, then you, then you got dissatisfied and then very dissatisfied, right? Yeah. So uh, the, the, you know, the idea, you feel these things out. So if we were to do a, um, false doctrine satisfaction survey, you know, if we were, you know, we were somehow able to 
contact Jesus, uh, you know, get, pray to him and say, you know, listen, we'd really like to sit down and do an interview with you and get your thoughts regarding false doctrine. Now, it's, it seems kind of silly, but, you know, work with me here for a second. I'm This is an analogy, a metaphor. So if I were to sit down face-to-face with Jesus, have him in studio and say, Jesus, you know, I, I just want to get your ideas regarding false doctrine. Um, you know, when it comes to Bible twisting, are you... Uh, are you satisfied, uh, a, v- a very satisfied, not uh, satisfied, neutral, uh, dissatisfied, or very dissatisfied? Okay. Do you think Jesus would answer the checkbox on that? Oh, I'm neutral. This doesn't matter. Come on. You twist my Bible any way you want. You know, you know. Who cares what the words mean? You just need to love each other and give each other a big hug of unity. You know, is, do you think that would be Jesus' attitude? Um, uh, <laughs> and you're going, um, well, maybe. Ah, well, if you, <laughs> if you think that would be Jesus' attitude, may I remind you that not all of Jesus' words are recorded in the Gospels. In fact, we've got red letters of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, all scripture is God-breathed. But if we're going to get Jesus' opinion, okay, um, you know, w- there might be some weight here. It, at least it might be easy to easier to explain to somebody, hey, this is Jesus' ideas regarding false doctrine and Bible twisting, okay? It, it's easier to explain to just the everyday guy on the street. Hey, look at what Jesus says about this. Oh, those are red letters. I don't know what Jesus thinks, right? Because here's the deal. Jesus is God in human flesh. This is great Christology. God, Jesus is God in human flesh. The God that we worship and believe in, well, that's Jesus, right? Okay, so all of Scripture being God-breathed, all of Scripture, you can argue, should be red letters, okay? However, to the ordinary guy on the street, that it gets a little complicated to explain it. So sometimes having the red letters just makes it a little bit easier when you're trying to make a point like this. So what is Jesus' opinion? If we were to do a customer satisfaction survey with Jesus regarding false doctrine, would he be neutral about it? You know, Bible twisting, is he just kind of so-so about it? Is maybe he's somewhat dissatisfied or... Well, Jesus uh, had the Apostle John write these words um, to the church in Ephesus, okay? Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these Jesus' words here, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. Really? Wow. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Nice. So Jesus here is commending the church in Ephesus for testing people who claimed to be apostles and found them to be false and patiently enduring and bearing up under the, um, the, 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 really the, the, the load that they're under with this. Now, Jesus has some words that uh, he's going to rebuke them here. Listen to the rebuke. This I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, Keep testing those apostles to see if they're really true apostles or false apostles. But, you know, keep, you know, you got to go back to love, right? 
So repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now listen to this. Yet this you have, you hate, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Church history tells us these are an antinomian, uh, this is an antinomian sect. Antinomian means against the law. You know, basically saying, yeah, now that you're a Christian, you don't need the law at all. Antinomian sect. So the the, the church in Ephesus, Ephesus hates, hates. Now, I, hate would be one of those things, I think, if you were to do a customer satisfaction survey and you were to check the box, hate would be uh, under the category of strongly dissatisfied, something like that. So you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, and then Jesus says, which I also hate. Huh. Get that. Hmm. Jesus was a hater. <laughs> if it's true, it's right there. Jesus hates. Jesus hates the work of the Nicolaitan. Um, wow. Uh that's some very, 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 very interesting stuff. Okay, moving along here. Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. This is uh, this is another one of those ones that's kind of like picking up all of the different pieces that I've left on the floor throughout the week. Um, I have got, <laughs> oh man, um, I I have got a uh, Patricia King gang video. It's not Patricia King herself. Um, I, who is this gal again? Um, hang on a second here. I forget her name. Um, oh yeah, Pamela Ca Pamela Carter. Pamela Carter. We're going to be doing a Pamela Carter update. You know, it's been a while since I've seen a Mel uh, Melissa Fisher video on the XP Media website. We're going to do a Pamela Carter video. Uh, we've got, um, you know, I've, I've, I tweeted this out and Facebooked it uh, earlier today. Um, just an amazing, an amazing music video. Um, I am quickly um, being schooled in and brought up to speed regarding what I'm labeling as discernment hip-hop. And uh, there, there's uh, I, I've, we played Jovan McKenzie in the past here. And by the way, he's got a new album coming out next week, and uh, I've been in communication with him. And uh, my hope is uh, we've we've got it scheduled. So you know, Lord willing, uh, you know, uh, we make it to Tuesday. I, I intend to interview Jovan McKenzie on Fighting for the Faith uh, to discuss his latest album. But uh, there's a there's a gentleman uh, by the who goes by the name of uh, for his son and it's the Roman numeral four, and uh, he and Jovan McKenzie have uh, have put out a a video called "What Am I to Do?" and this thing is amazing. It's you know I I am quickly becoming a fan of this kind of music and, and uh, really really thanking the Lord for. The bold stand for truth uh, from men like Jovan McKenzie and uh, for his son. I mean, this, this is great stuff. So I'm going to be passing that along to you today. Um, I got a Pyromaniacs blog post I want to read from Phil Johnson entitled The Antidote to Contemporary Evangelicalism's Addiction to Novelty, which I think is worth passing along. And, uh, and then a, a story I haven't covered yet. And uh, I've been watching this one, and there's new developments. Um and uh, that is is that uh, coming out of the o Orange County Register in uh, Southern California, um, there is a uh, uh, there's a TBN lawsuit, uh, a federal uh, lawsuit that has been filed uh, against the Trinity Broadcast Network, claiming that uh, the TBN board 
has diverted millions of dollars from chari- uh, from charitable assets. So we got that to cover. And, uh, oh boy, do I really want to... <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> like I said, just before uh, getting into studio today, I re- received an email, that, uh, a link to a story. <laughs> the... Uh, Headline is Roseboro abducted. Blogger attends conference against his will. <laughs> Somebody wrote a, an interesting news story, basically projecting what they thought occurred while I was uh, taking my hiatus. So I, I just might pass that along uh, if we have time today. So we're, we're going to just dive into the program proper. Uh, you make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers, uh, if uh, the weather in your neck of the wood permits, it does enhance your listener experience. And please believe me when I tell you, your listener experience is really, really important to me. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. Oh, yeah, that can really only mean one thing. Time for an update from the Patricia King gang. All right, it's been a while since we've done an update using Pamela Carter, but Pamela Carter recently did a video over at xpmedia.com, and uh, this one is, is entitled A New Walk, A New walk um you know let, well let's listen and see what she, what she has to say you know this important christian biblical teaching from pamela carter here we go hi i'm pamela carter and i am learning in 2012 what god has been speaking to me in 2012 is learning how to enter into the rest of god and you know that scripture in hebrews says that we must strive to enter into his rest. Well, I don't believe that word literally means strive in the flesh. It means to uh, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And I believe he's breaking off all the old patterns. All- okay, okay, so you don't believe it means fleshly striving, but some kind of spiritual striving. Um, what, what's the Greek word there in that verse? What's the verse number, by the way? Um, I, I don't recall. I mean... You know, granted, you know, listen, I'm in my mid 40s and um, the memory thing just it's becoming an issue. And uh, and so, you know, I can't recall exactly what verse you're talking about there. And uh, do you think uh, you could explain it to us from the Greek so that you can show us, you know, using the original languages that, you know, but what you're saying is really true? Or are you just winging it here and going on some feeling that you believe that God laid on your heart that, you then gave you this Gnostic insight into this particular biblical text. All the old ways. I'm not even the same person I was even a year ago. He has been breaking me. He has been transforming me because he has been just been literally just consuming me in his love, consuming me, taking me up into spiritual realms of his glory. Mm-hmm. Really? So God's been taking you up into spiritual realms of his glory? Really? Huh. Have you uh, imbibed of the, uh, you know, from the wine cellar of heaven like Patricia has? And even my, even where I used to worship and war and, um, you know, pray in tongues a lot, I, I do some of that. But it's really literally God taking possession of me. I remember a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So you're being possessed. Hmm. 
I began to pray, God, possess me. Holy Spirit, I want to know you. Just possess me. Possess me. So where in the Bible does it say that God wants to possess you? I mean, possession usually refers to the demonic realm, not the heavenly. And I believe he's taking possession of his bride. He is taking possession of us as his people, as his body. I remember a couple of years ago, I was asked to speak at a... Um, at a prayer conference, and all I heard the Lord say... Really? <laughs> Why would they ask you to come and speak at their prayer conference? I mean, what are your credentials? What have you said that's so profound that that people are going, oh, we got to have this at our prayer conference? The word that he gave me was, I want my body back. I want my body back. And it was kind of a strange word because nobody really got it at the time. But I... Uh-huh. <laughs> So God, the Holy Spirit, told you uh, that, and, and this was the message you shared at a prayer conference that you were invited to, that God wants his body back. Hmm. I think he wants his body back. He wants to live and move and have his being in us and through us. And the only way... Well, is he God or not? He can really do that is when we, no, lo no longer I that live, but Christ lives in and through me. So I don't even know how to walk anymore, except I hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Mm -hmm. You hear a voice behind you, just like the Apostle John. Mm -hmm. Right. And I believe right now is very important uh -huh. to listen to his voice. Right. I agree. This is a great time, an important time for us to be listening to the voice of God. Um, based on what you've said, though, I'm like 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
Sorry about that. You know, just, you know, all this talk about her doing little time travel, <clears throat> so, you know, <clears throat> back to work. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So I believe we're, we're ahead of time. Yeah. Because we're, we're going into a whole new time realm where yeah. we're going to see things ahead of time. Right. Not just prophetically, but uh. literally it will happen in our dream. I will dream a dream and it will be happening uh-huh. within days right, yeah. or within the next day. And it, it, it only if you hit 88 miles an hour. I'm just, you know, just saying. I mean, you have to speed in order to achieve this. It always just, just astounds me how God will speak to us. And I believe this speaks of warning mm-hmm. um, as well. Yeah. Because some. Yeah, warning is an important word here. I'm warning the body of Christ about people like you. Someone did have a dream about a car accident. And literally, that happened to me a couple of weeks later. I had a car accident. Uh, but I was, I was, I could have been killed. But I wasn't. I walked out of that. Yes, I had some bruises and I had to get through some healing on that. But you know what? That was a warning. We prayed through it before it ever happened. And I believe just like in the time of Jesus, when Herod was ready to kill all the babies and he he told Joseph to escape into Egypt. I believe that's how closely we're going to need to hear from God in these days. Uh Yeah, because, you know, you're just as important as the messiah is was in 2012 we need to listen to the voice of god we need to give heed to our dreams and the things he's showing us before you know back in the day when i was first learning how to hear from god i would think oh that's just me or or i just feel that about that person maybe yeah go back to those feelings you were right there's something wrong with me but i'm learning that our discernment is getting sharper (laughs) Uh, (laughs) really you got any objective verification of that fact we are going to be able to discern people's intentions and motives so that we're not caught in those traps of the enemy you are already caught in the trap of the enemy flee quickly because (laughs) you're not hearing god's voice there pamela um you're hearing something completely different ay 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 okay moving along i just (laughs) weird okay all right so uh, what we're gonna do uh to close out this segment of uh, fighting for the faith i'm going to be playing for you uh, uh, uh for his son and jovan mckenzie's fantastic uh, music video entitled what i'm what am i to do that's the name of it and uh, so uh, without any further ado here's a little bit of discernment hip hop Listen up, listener. I just ask of you one thing. Please listen to the scriptures that is in this song and go back and study it. Please listen to them. Write them down. Study it. 
Let's do it. Here they go again, hating they mad money. They making they feel like I'm taking from their pockets because I'm singing the truth. I'm talking biblical proof. You don't want to hear it. It's true. Hope the spirit's in you so you would understand. Man, I'm sick of man. Look at what they teaching when I turn on TBN. Look at all these heathens speaking about giving. Not concerned about true repentance. Look how they living. But you tell me just forget it. Romans 16, listen. Mark those that cause division. Second Timothy 4, boy, they is the sitting. Proverbs 28, look at verse 23. He that repeats from more favor than he will flatter speech. Come on and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. We not supposed to judge outside. But if they claim to be in the body, we let them have it. Rebuke them sharply, that's what God commanded. When you speak the whole truth, it's true. Everybody gets disappointed. Disappointed. They say don't put your mouth on me to God. They say touch not his anointing. Not his anointing. All I hear is cliches taken out of context. What am I to do? What am I to do, man? Yo, now in the Bible it tells us to rightly divide the word of truth, but we can't divide if we don't study to show ourselves approved. The scripture is good for doctrine and for reproof, which means if I preach false doctrine, it's when corrections used. Let's chop it up like vegetables because they're destitute, they follow rules, thinking everything they pass and said was true. Now that's incredible, but the leaven they eating isn't edible, but that's what they do put man on a pedestal. See in the pulpit, there's preachers who claim to know Jesus, but look into the text, that's why James said, Woe you teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So we must stay accountable, avoid doctrines of Satan. No, you don't have to love me. The Bereans were more noble because they didn't trust Paul, but they went back and studied. Now that should be a motto. That's something we should follow. So go away to cliches. Please eat the Bible. When you speak the whole truth, it's true. Everybody gets disappointed. Disappointed. They say don't put your mouth on me to God. They say touch not his anointing. Not his anointing. All I hear is cliches taken out of context. What am I to do? What am I to do, though? Know the sound of his voice, uh, and he ain't got a choice. If the father draws them, then he can't resist it. And I know it's sickness, so-called Christians twist the scriptures. Can I get a witness with this being said? A lot of believers ended up dead. I'm going against the religion of man, so most of these churches don't understand. What about read about martyrs, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers losing their life for repping the Christ? We need to go harder, not smarter. With worldly wisdom, ism and schism, hedonism, visions and eloquent speech to convince them. And I see the way they caught up in emotionalism. Listen, but I know we need to go get them and hit them with facts, and we need to preach the whole council simple as that. Whether in season or not, no, we cannot stop and stop compromising. Uh-huh. We need to call them out, need to close their mouth for false prophesying. See the way they be, most churches preaching, they teaching so falsely. Uh-huh. In the blind, they leading the blind, and they fall in the pit because they can't see. Yeah, when you speak the whole truth, it's true. Everybody gets disappointed. Disappointed. They say, don't put your mouth on me to God. They say, touch not his anointing. Not his anointing. All I hear is cliches taken out of context. What am I to do? I know a lot of y'all was okay with this song until now. You got people like Creflo Dollar, where we standing at right now. His church preaches nothing but heresy. He preaches not the orthodox view of the Trinity, and he also preaches against Christ's deity. And he's all about prosperity. If anybody goes to this church right here, New Birth, Eddie Long's church, after all his sexual scandals and all his heretical preaching over the years, I pray that you would come out because it's doctrines of demons google the names look up websites like alil11.com and please do your research look at whole messages and come up out of these churches in the name of jesus christ amen
Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, the Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of the Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, calling out heresy is a very important and bold thing that needs to happen, and it could cost you a lot, at least this aside of Christ's return. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons, one says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46. 
888-900-0038. I want to uh, say something really quick uh, about um, that uh, video. Um, Ivy Connerly and uh, Jovan McKenzie are the two gentlemen that are featured in the video, the, the music we just played. And um, if you, when you see the music video, you, in fact, you can find it. Just uh, you know, go to YouTube and and, and uh, type in the search box, and you should be able to find it. Or take a look at my Twitter stream or my Facebook page. Um, it's still uh, it's still pretty recent uh, since I sent the tweets out. But um, I, one of the things I noticed in that video is that uh, um, it looked like uh, the police were called. Now, what happened in in the video? Jovan and uh, uh, Ivy, they uh, they videotaped themselves in front of Creflo Dollars Church as well as uh, Bishop, I'm sorry, uh, former King Eddie Long. He, yeah, because remember, he abdicated the throne. Um, former King and now Bishop again, Eddie Long's church. And uh, and so I sent uh, Jovan a, a direct message on Twitter, and I, and I asked him, I said, uh, I was just watching your latest music video on YouTube. Did the police talk with you when you filmed it? You know, because there, I mean, there's a there's a piece in there where I mean, uh, I mean, the police are there and they show the video footage. And so Jovan wrote me back and he said, "Yes, the police were called out by Eddie Long's church, and the security guard was harassing us, and then he called the police." So. Uh, <laughs> I said, boy, if that doesn't uh, tell the whole story, then I don't know what does. So, you know, so uh, if you see that video, the uh, the police thing, uh, the, the police that were called, it was Eddie Long's security guard that called the cops on uh, Jovan McKenzie and, and Ivy Connerly there. And so uh, just at least that's a part of the story that I think is worth passing along. But again, great work and, and praise, praise God for their bold stand for the truth. Okay, moving along. From the Orange County Register, I got two stories I need to read from the uh, Orange County Watchdog website. You can find this at taxdollars.ocregister.com. This is the Orange County Watchdog website that's affiliated with the Orange County Register. The headline reads um, uh, suit TBN board diverted millions from charitable assets. Okay, and uh, this is uh, written by Tara Fiz- uh, Forza, uh, the uh, Orange County Register staff writer. The the story reads: The granddaughter of Trinity Broadcasting Networks, Paul and Jan Crouch, has accused the world's largest Christian broadcaster of unlawfully distributing charitable assets worth more than 50 million to the company's directors. The charges are leveled in a federal lawsuit filed by Crouch's granddaughter, Brittany Copper, uh, last week against her former lawyers who also do legal work for TBM. Observers have often wondered how the Crouches can afford multiple mansions on both coasts, a $50 million jet and chauffeurs, said Timothy McLeod, uh, Copper's attorney, and finally with CFO... Uh, with the CFO coming forward, we have answers to those questions. Copper had sev- uh, served as chief financial officer, a director of finance and corporate treasurer, and the director of human resources for Trinity Christian Center of Santa Ana, which does business as Trinity Broadcasting Network. According to the suit, uh, Copper's complaint is not directed against her grandparents or TBN, but against the two attorneys 
who handles some uh, TBN uh, legal work and who wants work for Copper herself. She accuses them of professional negligence, breach of fiduciary duty, and other transgressions in the suit. Copper was using these attorneys for her personal affairs, and she went to them with her suspicions over the legality of the payments to TBN's directors, only to be told to shut up. Return everything she had earned through TBN, the, uh, the company, and be gone, according to the suit. Douglas S. Davert of Davert and Lowe in Long Beach is one of the attorneys targeted in Copper's suit. Her assertions are outright fiction and wholly without merit, he said. The allegations are defamatory to the extent that they get printed. We are going to defend ourselves vigorously. Davert said he couldn't commit fully on pending litigation, but that there's a great deal more going on here. To it, Copper and her husband were actually the ones doing the misdeeds, according to the suit originally filed by Davert and Lowe in Orange County Superior Court in October. Though apparently crafted to avoid mentioning TBN, the suit accused Copper and her husband, both of whom worked for TBN and were on its board of directors, of forging documents and misappropriating funds to the tune of $400,000. The suit was dismissed without settlement in January. Copper's lawyers say the suit was a preemptive strike and attempt to discredit Copper because Copper was going to blow the whistle. So, I mean, this is uh, something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. And, you know, and as this story develops, you know, basically claiming that uh, the $50 million, that's a lot of money, has been diverted. Well, there's a follow-up story that uh, broke on Valentine's Day. And the headline also uh, from the Orange County Register OC Watchdog website at taxdollars.ocregister.com reads, God help anyone who would get in the way of TBN. Okay, Um, let me read this. Uh, We told you last week that the granddaughter of Trinity Broadcasting Network's Paul and Jan Crouch has accused the world's largest Christian broadcaster of unlawfully distributing charitable assets worth more than $50 million to the company's directors. The charges were leveled in a federal lawsuit filed by Crouch's granddaughter, Brittany Copper, against her former lawyers who do uh, also do legal work for Trinity. One of the lawyers said her charges were outright fiction and wholly without merit. Well, on Thursday, February 9th, the same day that our story ran online, Paul Crouch and his son, Matt, were having a live chat on TBN's Behind the Scenes. Paul was reminiscing about how TBN began back in 1973, and God spoke to him as he was driving on MacArthur Boulevard, and the conversation took a turn that Copper's attorneys find somewhat menacing. You know what's funny, Dad, Matt said at the at minute 8.38 on the video, there have been a few attempts in the TBN history to upset TBN, to stop TBN. Uh, to uh, There have been fools in the, in the 38, 39-year history coming up on 40 years. And you know what? Any attempt at stopping TBN, they have no idea what they're actually pushing into the corner. You and mom get pushed in a corner. God help you. That's a lesson I've learned from you. Seriously. Paul Crouch responded, God help anyone who would try to get in the way of TBN, which was God's plan. I have attended the funerals of at least two people who tried. Boy, anyone that's ever tried to get in the way of this network, don't. Don't try it. Don't try it. I'm telling you, you are playing with fire. 
God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And TBN, you know what? Just plain old TBN as a great network identity is proof of the sovereignty of God and the power of God against hell and high water. This network stands as a monument to the faithfulness of God. He did it. Jan and I were just simple kids. We didn't even know what we were doing. It was God's idea. He did it all. Crouch then appealed for donations. Anyone have a need, he asked. Plant a seed. Get on the phone. The comments were directed at no one in particular, but they resounded with copper. Trinity Christian Center, which does business as TBN, is a non-profit in the eyes of Uncle Sam, which means it doesn't pay taxes on its income. It reported revenues of $175.6 million. Expenses of $193.7 million and net assets of $827.6 million at the end of 2010, according to its tax returns. Its highest paid officer was Paul Crouch with a compensation of $400,000 in the year 2010. Yeah, so, um, boy, that's... Uh, interesting. Apparently, uh, now you know. So, um, this sounds eerily like what we hear from the seeker-driven guys. Uh, they claim that God's the one doing everything with their mega churches, and uh, if you oppose them or the vision that God's given them, well, hmm, yeah, well, God help you, yeah, because uh, you you're standing in the way of God and what God wants to have done. Mm-hmm. And yet, TBN is uh, the biggest hellhole of false doctrine and heresy ever created within the history of the church. I seriously doubt that God's in the business of protecting TBN, you know, like a mafia don would, you know, protect his assets. You know what I'm saying. Moving along from the steam tunnel pilot dot blogspot dot com website. (laughs) I can't believe I'm going to read this. Okay. (laughs) Uh, the headline reads, Roseboro abducted blogger attends conference against his will by Leo Sanchez from the steam tunnel. Hi, yi 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 Okay, so I, I take a few days off, and this is what gets projected into the silence. Oh, no. <clears throat> the, the story reads, blogger and podcaster Chris Roseboro, host of Fighting for the Faith, the most listened to Christian podcast in the world, disappeared during a self-imposed ministry hiatus last week, taking some time out for a grueling stretch of programs and conferences that included an ejection from James McDonald's Elephant Room Conference under the threat of arrest, the gadfly of the post-evangelical blogosphere returned to his native Southern California to recharge his batteries and put the pirate ship in dry dock for a couple of days. Last Thursday afternoon at approximately 1.45 local time, Roseboro told friends that he was going to take a long, non-contemplative walk along the beach at San Clemente. He never returned. What transpired thereafter was stranger than some of the guests on Roseboro's daily program. Still groggy from an agave-inspired natural sedative, Mr. Roseboro awakened some 15 hours later in a one-window room locked from the outside overlooking the Gulf of California. He had a VIP identification tag hanging around his neck. Following a brief meet-and-greet session, Roseboro's captors informed him that he... He had left the United States and was now attending the Circling the Wagons conference put together by a group called the Avengers for the Gospel. In fact, he was the keynote speaker. (laughs) The Avengers for the Gospel conference. 
This is so painful. Why am I reading this? Anyway, a polyglot consortium of theologically confused men from 33 nations, the A4G contingent, had rented out convention facilities on Tiburon Island opposite the Baja coast. Unfortunately, none of the aforementioned glots included English. A, a, quote, I first sensed that language might be a barrier when I asked them about the island, Roseboro told the steam tunnel in an, undis, in an exclusive interview. He noticed that there were no cars or trucks on the island, prompting him to wonder why ferries were incapable of crossing the strait, even though the mainland was clearly visible. In, quote, in rather broken English, they told me they had all divested themselves of cars and trucks. However, it was not vigorous environmentalism that prompted these guys to take to the streets on foot. They told me they didn't want to have anything to do with the motorist heresy and that this was one of the reasons they wanted to have me come down and to set them straight. From that point, things deteriorated quickly. By the way, there's photographs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, you're only getting half the story here because there's photographs. You get steamtunnelpilot.blogspot.com. This is Anyway, from the from the that point things deteriorated quickly. They wanted me to lecture on the sun stand still prayer. Normally, I'd have been happy to do so, but these guys were under the impression that I was promoting sun stand still. They told me they wanted to learn how to do it, reasoning that even a few extra minutes of daylight per 24-hour period could significantly increase tourism in their communities in the off-season uh, winter months. The tipping point came when the group leader, whom the others called Saro, which is the closest thing Roseboro ever got to a name while he was in captivity, explained to him that the opening plenary session would be conducted by Dr. Dan Allender. Oh, no. Who, by the way, speaks perfect Spanish. Quote, that's when I knew... It was do or die for me, he said. The thought of him coming down here and translating words like brutiful into another language was more than I could bear. It was bad enough hearing it for the first time in English. Despairing even of his own life, or at least his sanity, the 43-year-old apologist, who was a varsity swimmer in high school, managed to evade his captors and took to the waves. Just under two hours later, he traversed the 1.4-kilometer straight and arrived on the beach at Quino Nuevo, where he was greeted by off-duty agents of the Mexican Federal Police, who were in the area investigating claims that a young boy had been had seen something great and white moving in the water. Oh, no. <laughs> Whew, yeah. <laughs> Glad they didn't call out the fishing boats on me. Anyway, storming the island three hours later, the Federales arrested eight men, including Cerro, later identified as 34-year-old Paco <laughs> Orsavian, whose mestizo Slavic name <laughs> family tree was not untainted by in international intrigue. A retired Luce Libre wrestler, Wasarvian's great-grandfather had directed an axe to the head region of the Leon Trotsky in Mexico City in 1940. Boy, that's tough to follow. An exhausted Roseboro was escorted by Mexican customs official to the U.S. border, entry at Douglas, Arizona, where he arrived at 5.18 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on Sunday morning and an impromptu press conference, press conference, like anyone would want to talk to me. Anyway, Chris reflected on the treatment he received at Circle the Wagons. Nice guys for the most part, he said, explaining that he was taunted at one point by a security guard who asked him 
How so? How does it feel to be uh, boarded pirate man? Mm-hmm. The facilities were actually top notch. Roseboro reported they even had a gym where I could work out. And even though this was Mexico, there was a always a copy of USA Today outside of my door when they came to get me in the morning. The food was good too, Mexican, mostly lots of combo plates, and not one was missing a taco. I don't know who our chef was because I never saw him. Whoever he was, though, that man could make a chili relleno like nobody's business. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would want to write a story like this, but I had to pass it along. So there, <laughs> now I've done my duty. Okay, moving along, something a little more serious. Phil Johnson of the Pyromaniacs blog from teampyro.blogspot.com, not writing satire about my Mexican abduction, uh, has a headline entitled The Antidote to contemporary evangelicalism's addiction to novelty. And Phil Johnson writes, he says, uh, I quote 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, which states, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure sufferings, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. In all of Paul's instructions to Timothy and Titus, there is not an ounce of encouragement for the person who thinks innovation is the key to an effective ministry philosophy. Much less is there any room for the pulpiteers of today who like to exegete the latest movies or preach on moral lessons drawn from television sitcoms or build their sermons on themes borrowed from popular culture. You know what I mean, the kind of preachers who insist that they are being missional when they are merely being worldly. Still less, is there any warrant for celebrity rock star pastors who continually make themselves the focus of their preaching? Quote, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Quote, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. Paul's focus is extremely narrow. Stiflingly narrow. For the typical young and restless church planter for whom style is everything and whose style, well, let's be honest, is conspicuously dictated by secular fashion rather than by the worldview Paul was exhorting Timothy to embrace. Preach the word. That's the centerpiece and the key to everything Paul tells Timothy about how to shepherd God's flock. That command is followed immediately by a second imperative that simply makes the first one more emphatic. Be ready in season and out of season. The Greek verb means stand by, and it does have the sense of readiness. In fact, in radio, that's exactly what the expression stand by means. Be ready. But the word Paul uses is richer and stronger than that. It also carries the connotation of expressions like take a stand, stand upon it, stick to it, stand up to it, or simply carry on. Paul is urging Timothy to be absolutely unswervingly devoted to the truth of the word and to, 
end to the task of proclaiming it. Stand firm and stand ready. Keep at the task no matter what. That's the idea, and the proof is in the rest of the phrase. Be ready in season and out of season. Literally, when it is timely and when it is untimely. When it is popular and when it is not. Or to contextualize the phrase for the current crop of evangelical fashionistas, preach the word even when preaching the word seems hopelessly uncool and unstylish. The expression is ambiguous as to whether Timothy or his audience is the barometer declaring what's in season or out of season. It doesn't matter. Regardless of how you or your audience or anyone else feels about it, keep preaching the word. Preach the word, whether the timing seems opportune or awkward. Preach it whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Preach it whether you feel like it or not. Preach it whether the door is opened or closed. Preach it no matter how much resistance you encounter. Preach it whether or not people say they want it. Preach it and make it the heart and soul of your ministry strategy no matter how much church growth experts tell you otherwise. Paul goes on to give several more imperatives, and all of them expand on or modify this initial command. Preach the word. In a follow-up post or two, we'll look at the whole series of imperatives, and I think you'll see in a graphic way that Paul's idea about ministry philosophy, church growth, run fairly contrary to the received wisdom of most who claim expertise in these matters today great post and he's spot on right all right we're up on our second break when we come back we're going to be reviewing a david crank sermon from faith church in st louis good friend of stephen furtick yeah you're not going to want to miss it if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address talk back at fighting or you can ask to be my friend on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian we'll be right back No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap.
Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. We're going to be reviewing... Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it yet. Just wait for the music. I just... It's just bizarre. good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Faith Church, St. Louis, Missouri. David Crank presiding. This is a guy who is good buddies with um, some of the TBN folks and Stephen Furtick and others. The name of the, <laughs> the, name of the sermon is Leprosy Leadership. Leprosy leadership. How is it that this passes for preaching? I have no idea. I'm not even sure you need a Bible for this sermon. But, you know, get one anyway. I mean, I might do some impromptu Bible teaching just to floss my mind out. All right, I, I, if, in case you can't tell, I'm not exactly thrilled with the the fact that I'm going to be reviewing this sermon. So without any further ado, here is Leprosy Leadership. Oh, man. From David Crank, Faith Church, St. Louis, Missouri. Here we go. You know, today I'm actually going to do a talk because we're in between series and we're actually going to talk about lessons in leper leadership. Lessons in... <sighs> What's the point of, you know, what, do, you, do you think that God revealed his Bible for any particularly good reason? I mean, really, leprous leadership. Mm, okay, yeah. I <laughs> never seen this doctrine before. Leper leadership. I sent out an email. How many of y'all are not on our email list? You don't get a weekly email. Raise your hand real quick. It's okay. Yeah, I'm raising my hand and I'm thanking the Lord. Thank you, God, that I'm not on this man's email list. Just raise your hand. I'd like you to get on that. You can talk to people at the information desk or someone on the way out or write your name or email on the on your offering envelope because sometimes I send out an email and say, hey, I'm talking on the subject. And I did that this Tuesday night. Uh, business leaders pack the building, uh, some of the leading corporations in town, because when we teach on leadership, leaders who really lead want to learn how to lead better and go to the next level. So get the... T really? It, it, this is the second time, second time that I have reviewed a sermon from <laughs> David Crank where he's made the claim that, oh, business people are just flocking, flocking to... Uh, faith church because every time they talk about you know business stuff you know uh, business leaders they just got to get there 
Yeah, um, I have a master's degree in business administration from Pepperdine University in um, Malibu, California. And uh, I'm telling you, as somebody who spent time in the corporate world and who, well, who's been to business school, um, you ain't saying nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that I would even be willing to get out of bed to be willing to hear. In fact, I really didn't even want to play this on my program today. But then again, you know, this is the kind of stuff we review here at Fighting for the Faith. But believe me when I tell you, from a business point of view, uh, this stuff is worthless. CD from Tuesday night. We're actually going to kind of dive into the rest of the sermon. But before I do get started, I want to read a little bit of joke for you here. Joel would get mad at me. Yeah, because, you know, you got to read a joke first rather than read from the Bible. Great way to start a Christian sermon. A man in a hot air balloon release was released and lost, and he reduced altitude and spotted a woman below. He descended a bit, and he shouted, Excuse me, can you help me? I promised a friend that I would meet him about an hour, but I don't know where I am. And the woman below replied, You're in a hot air balloon hovering approximately 30 feet above the ground. You're between 40 and 41 degrees longitude, between 59 and 60 degrees latitude. He said, Well, you must be an engineer, lady. She said, I am. How'd you know? He said, Well... Everything you've told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to make of the information. In fact, frankly, I'm still as lost as I've ever been. If anything, you've delayed my trip. She said, well, you must be in management. He said, I am. How'd you know? He said, well, you've risen where you are to a, a, due to a large quantity of hot hair. <laughs> you've made a lot of promises in which you have no idea how to keep, and you expect that people believe you to solve your problems. The fact is, you're exactly in the same position you were an hour ago, but now you've managed to make it my fault. Isn't that a good story? Oh, yeah, that's just a waste of time. Hot dog management, management. You know, there's a leadership and a leader slip, and it's so easy to be in leadership and then... Really, where does the Bible talk about leader slip or leadership? Hmm... I'm not, um, and what does leprosy have to do with it? Slide into leader slip. Now, I know some people are saying, well, I don't own a corporation. I don't lead anything. Well, I beg to differ. You are a leader. If anything, you lead yourself. A young man came to me recently and said, I, I listen to leadership stuff. I know your leadership. And look, but the problem is nobody's following me. Who do I lead? And I said, well, you've got to lead you. Nobody wants to follow you until they see how you lead. When they find out how your life. Okay, wait. Lead you. Uh, okay, if you're leading, okay, let me, <clears throat> teaching requires that there be a student, okay? Leading requires that there be a follower. <sighs> is being led to victory and, and you're going to the next level in life, they will want to follow you. People want to follow proven success. So to go from leadership to leader slip is very easy, very quick. The first thing we do is we begin to not appreciate the position in which we have any longer. Actually, there's a picture they'll put on the screen, true, real pictures of people who were excited about getting the job, but now he's sleeping in a bad spot. <laughs> Next shot, please. True shot. This lady wanted the job. On the interview, she did not do that right there. Oftentimes, we do that in relationships. Well, I really want the job. I really want the boy. I really want the girl. And then you get what you want, but you don't keep what you want because you have wandering eyes and you begin to lust after other things. Well, if I had that job, if I had that girl, if I had that guy. And oftentimes we're always trying to put off uh, our happiness 
to a later date and we're no longer in leadership of our own life, we are in a process of leader slip. It must be dealt with. If not, what happens is, is we be- so so leader slip um, back in the day, we'd call that, you know, sin. Mm hmm. OK. Become underperformers. Most people. Yeah. Yeah. So that, see, that's the problem. I'm a moral underperformer. I'm not a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm just experiencing leader slip. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm just not doing a good job of leading myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's my problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a I'm an underperformer. Yeah. 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 I just need to, you know, uh, apply some better uh, techniques to my leadership uh, problem. Yeah. Well, great, because they're underpaid, but I also see the other side of the story. You might be underpaid, but oftentimes it's an underperformance issue. In corporations that we run, I've noticed over the years that you'll hire somebody and they'll be excited, and three weeks later, they're a little less excited, and eight weeks later, they're not really hardly performing, and 14 weeks later, they're telling you how they're overworked and underpaid, and you need to hire somebody to do their job. My answer to that is oftentimes I'll keep smiling, but I'll hire someone to do their job while they lose theirs. Because any corporation or home that is worth its salt, you have to make hard calls in life. You have to sit and go, wait a minute, if I'm spending all of my resources and time not being the visionary leader of this organization, corporation, or home, and I'm micromanaging you because you won't do what you've been paid or told how to do, I am now wasting my focus. I was with the guy. In fact, I talked about this Tuesday night, and, and he's a multimillionaire and older guy, and he had a little uh, a glass in his hand, and, and he began to play with it in the sun. And he said, David, watch this, and there was a little rotten leaf laying there. And so he maneuvered the glass in such a way that it began to kind of smoke the leaf. He said, that's the power of concentration. This is how I became a multimillionaire. This is how I own all these organizations. Yeah, I used to fry ants that way um, <laughs> when I was a kid. I guess, wow, yeah, the power of focus. This is just some great biblical... No, it's, there's nothing biblical about this yet. What, is the, what do the lepers have to do with this? I just... hi yi yi uh, uh, David, uh, you are aware your job is to preach the word, right? Yeah. Uh, what exactly makes this a Christian sermon again? What makes this biblical again? Maybe he'll get to it. I, I don't know. We'll see. ...is I have the power to control my own focus, and I, I pinpoint it like a laser until I get smoke. I get action. Most of the time, people have great ideas, but they're all over the place. They're wondering generalities about what's going to be in life. You, you know, I heard of a, a joke. I forgot it until just now. I hope I remember it enough to tell it where there was a guy who... who yeah, me too, because, you know, this is all an important part of my Christian discipleship. This is what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, this is what Jesus had in mind for the pastors in his church to be preaching as part of the disciple-making process in the biblical church. Who he wanted to, uh, he wanted to have a big life, and so this little genie was in a bottle, and he wrote the genie to come out. So what do you want? He said, "I wish to have a a a car dealership in a major metropolitan city." And he wakes up, and he's in Japan with a Chevy dealership. See, <laughs> so you can't just wander around in life. You have to have a, a a specific lane in which you know you want to go in, and then you have to follow that. But let's go to 2 Kings chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. If you don't, they'll put it on the screen. And it says, now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king. He was a great man in the sight. 
All right, you turn over to Second Kings chapter five. The leprosy leadership. Okay, story of Naaman. Let's see what he does with this. Side of his master, highly regarded because through him, watch this successful leadership, the Lord had given him victory over his enemies. He was a militant, valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Leprosy. You know what leprosy is. It begins to eat your very skin and actually takes off parts of your body. This guy's successful. He's a multimillionaire. If you begin to study out in the scripture, he has all kinds of employees. One day when he's out in battle, he takes in prisoners. And this one girl that they took in was now his wife's maid. She would see him every day with the pain, watching parts of his body fall off. And she told Naaman's wife, I wish that I could get him to the man of God. She said, tell me more. So, well, over in Israel, there's this guy named Elisha, and if he could lay hands on him, God would heal him. So they got stoked, of course, took all their money. They went to the king, and they said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. He said, well, you're my best man. I mean, you ha- do you have enough money? In fact, I'm going to load you up with extra silver and gold, take a fleet, a, a, a letter from me, the, the presidential seal on it. You get to this prophet. So they took this journey, true story. They come down to this town, and here is Elisha. Now, some of you might be familiar with Elisha and Elijah, and it's kind of confusing because their names are very similar. Elijah was this old prophet who did some incredible mighty things from God. But then Elisha was his young protege. He was the guy that was learning to be generation next. He's passing all kinds of tests with the old man. Elijah is being hard on him, but he's passing them all. And at the end of the trail, Elisha was there when Elijah died, and he said, what do you want? He said, Lord, I want double of what you had. And if you count it in Kings, he had double the miracles, double the healing, double the success, double the finances. Everything was doubled. Now, fast forward to 2 Kings 5. Now we find Elisha, the young... Uh, I thought Elijah was taken to heaven. He didn't die. Young buck, he's kind of old. I mean, like me, and it starts happening on you. You hate it. Come on, raise your hand if you, if you can do it. Some of you are like, no, my, I got a tennis elbow, I can't. <laughs> but you get kind of old. Stuff starts sagging, back in the dragon. That's why our vision dims as well. My wife thinks I'm still hot when she doesn't have her contacts on. <laughs> so, so he's getting kind of old, and there's this young buck now following him. It is the modern, the sequel, the new, improved version of Elisha. His name's Gehazi. Gehazi goes and answers the door while this king man comes to the door, this leper, Naaman. He knocks at the door and says, may we help you? And immediately, check this out, leader slip. Immediately, this guy gets mad. He said, why is the man of God not answering the door? My pride. The Bible actually says, I expected. One translation says, I thought. Listen, be careful getting caught up in the I thought. Do you really think that this story is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 5 to teach us the importance of leadership versus leader slip? Really? <laughs> I'm about to start teaching this text here. I am getting so frustrated. I thought she would. I thought he would. I thought they would. Listen, I thought can get you in a lot of trouble. If you're really thinking, you've got to be careful about, I thought. He said, I thought that he would come to the door. We sent a letter. We sent guys before him. He said, yeah, he sent me out to tell you something. What would he say? Well, I really hate to tell you this because I can already tell you're kind of offended. He told me to tell you to jump in the lake. Jump in the lake. You see, yeah, I need you to go down here to this river, the Jordan. I-, I want you to dunk in there seven times. He said, if you dunk in there seven times, if you get all your dunks in a row, 
He said, when you get all your ducks in a row, on the seventh one, you'll come up healed. He said, I never, I won't. He storms off mad. He gets in his chariot, and this little sweet lady who told him about the man of God. Thank God for people in your life that will talk some sense into you. Let me tell you something. Leader slip happens when nobody tells you no. When nobody says, sir, she comes to him, literal verbiage. She says, my Lord. What's that? My Lord. Humility. If he would have told you to do something hard, you would have done it. If he would have told you to give a million dollars, you'd have done it. If he'd have told you to build some big cathedral, you'd have done it. All he did was tell you to go dunk in that really nasty river. Just do it, please. He says, all right. So he goes down. He's got on this white shirt. He dunks. He comes back up, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, look, that Armani shirt is now brown. That is a problem. He gets back up number three times. He's looking at his staff. This better work. His arm's gone. His ear's gone. This better work. He comes up. On the seventh time he's coming up, all the staff is looking, thinking, God, I hope it's true. He comes up. Miraculously, he's made whole. The leprosy is gone, and God has done what he said he would do. Give God praise for that. God's going to do that for you. But if you're a note taker, write this down. God's going to heal me of leprosy. Obedience is the blessing exchange. You give me this, I give you that. Whoa, holy smokes. This is all law, not gospel. He's preaching. Oh, this, what, 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 what brought about this blessing? Obedience. Uh-huh. He obeyed, then God blessed him. He runs back with all the chariots to the old man's house. He knocks at the door, says, God has healed me. I've got to bless you. Thank you so much. Can I give you money? And the old man says, don't worry about it. Go and be made whole. Now, Gehazi, the young man, he's looking, go and be made whole. That's easy for you to say. You're a millionaire yourself, preacher. Really? So Elisha's home was palatial. I just, I'm having problems here. You know, I, I got to teach the text. Second Kings chapter five. Okay. Now we did a sermon review, uh, Pastor O'Connor from uh, uh, Faith Lutheran in uh, Greenfield, Indiana, recently preached on this text. Go back into uh, the archives of Fighting for the Faith and hear how he handled the text. I thought he did a fantastic job. Let's read it first, and then we'll work this out. Naaman, the uh, Naaman, uh, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man, with his master in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Okay, who's getting the credit here for Naaman's um, victories? God is, and interesting to say that because Naaman is a pagan. Naaman is not a, well, he's not a Jew. He's not from Israel. In fact, Syria had, at this point had conquered part of Israel, right? And uh, so as far as Naaman's concerned, his God um, has conquered Yahweh, okay? His God being Rimon. Rimon was the king of Syria at that time. And so, um, yeah, it, yet it says that the Lord, was the one who had given victories to Syria through Naaman as a pagan. The uh, concept of the sovereignty of God begins to come into play here. You understand what I'm saying? We continue. Now, the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She's a slave girl. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Samaria. 
he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see now that he is seeking a quarrel with me. So the king of Israel, who is in a real sense here because of uh, the war between Syria and Israel, is a vassal of the king of uh, Syria. And his interpretation of this letter is that the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight, and that's not going to go well. It, it, they're just looking for a pretense to start up hostilities. Not good, right? But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, so that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. Now, this is important, okay? How are we to interpret what is going on here? Should we interpret this according to the law, or should we interpret this according to the gospel? Now, I'm going to pause there in our telling of the story. And if you have your Bible, what I want you to do is go to Romans chapter 3. What we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of work in Romans chapter 3 so that you can see and understand an important concept biblically. And that concept is that Scripture interprets Scripture. That's the idea. Scripture interprets Scripture. So what you want to make sure is, is that you understand how the Scripture, how God's Word tells us to understand his word so that you don't abuse it, so that you don't misuse it, so that you don't confuse the biblical categories of law and gospel. And yes, these categories even apply in the Old Testament because everybody who is saved is saved by grace through faith. Now watch this. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, all are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. 
for by works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared righteous in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of a law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify, declare righteous, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, do we then overthrow the law? Uh, uh, overthrow the law by this faith? No, by, on, uh, uh, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. So what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing, the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works of the law. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, and blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, I read all of that in Romans you know, part of three and four to kind of point this out. There is a major theme going on here, and you'll notice in Romans four, which I kept reading into, it points us to the fact that even Abraham himself was justified and declared righteous before God, not by obedience, that's what works of the law are, that's another synonym for it, but he was justified and declared righteous before God by faith. And all Human beings who are saved are declared righteous by faith. In the Old Testament, they're declared righteous by faith in the coming Messiah. Since the Messiah, all who are justified are justified by looking back to the completed work of the Messiah. So those in the Old Testament are holding on to the promises of the coming Messiah. We are looking backwards and in history at looking at the fulfilled promises of the Messiah for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, this is important, too. Okay. Every human being, according to scriptures, is born dead in trespasses and sins, and it is God who gives faith. And it's not by works of man that someone is becomes a Christian. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 2, a good cross-reference to this passage. I'll start at verse 1, and I'm going to continue reading through verse 10. Watch this. And you, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So by nature, we're dead in trespasses and sins, and by nature, we are all children of wrath. All of mankind is born a child of wrath. At this point in the story that we're reading in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, is Naaman um, a, a son of obedience or is he a child of wrath? Answer, he's a child of wrath. He is a pagan who worships the false god Rimon. He lives in Syria, okay? And he is a pagan through and through. He does not have faith in the one true God. He does not believe in Yahweh, okay? Now, I'm going to continue. So here's the question. How do you go from being dead in trespasses and sins and alive in Christ? Answer, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his, of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, I'm going to point something out here. If I ask you the question, based on verses 8 and 9, it is by grace you are saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. What is the it? Do you know? The answer is all of the salvation, the grace and the faith. In fact, the very faith that, that, that the gospel demands, the gospel grants. So faith, according to Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God's word is what creates faith. And faith itself, the ability to believe and trust in God, the one true God, that faith is given as a gift by God. It is not something that is in, it has its origin within you because remember, you're born dead in trespasses and sins and a son of disobedience, okay? And here's what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now, this gives us the proper framework for understanding this Old Testament story. So what we're seeing here is that one thing you cannot come away with from this Old Testament story is that somehow Naaman... Well, he earned his blessing by his works because watch what happens, okay? So where we're at, um, we're going to go back um, to verse 10. Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verse 10, Naaman is still a pagan, okay? Let me read. 
Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh, his God, and wave his hands over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Now, this is an important question. Could Naaman go and wash in the Abana or the Farpar River and be clean? Answer, no. Why? Answer, because the promises of God are connected in this at this moment, they are connected to the Jordan River. They are not connected to the Abana or the Farpar. You have to listen for where God's word and the promise is. The promise is made by God, okay, by the prophet. Already we have, we, before Naaman has done anything, before he has done anything, God in his rich grace and mercy has promised him healing. And God's word and the promise is not connected to anything other than the Jordan River. So God's promise is now connected to the waters of the Jordan. Okay. Are not Abana and par far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Answer, no. Why? Because God's word is not connected with them. So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? You, you, you're going to be clean. Go and wash. The promise is right there in the river, right? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, according to the promise made by God, right? And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, Pay close attention here. He goes into the Jordan River, a pagan. After the seventh dip, he comes out a believer. He went in dead in trespasses and sins, and he comes out alive. Then he returned to the man of God and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all of the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will not, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God except for the Lord. And in this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes to the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, go in peace. Go in peace. He went in a pagan idolater into the Jordan River. And after the seventh dip, he came out a regenerate, repentant, God-fearing believer in the one true God. 
it wasn't because of works. It was because God's word regenerated him. The promise was there in the Jordan for him. He went in a pagan and came out a believer. This is what the text teaches us. So much so, as a God-fearing believer in the one true God, he's even pre-asking for forgiveness because as his duty, part of his duties as the chief commander of the armies of Syria, he's got he's got to go into the temple of Rimon and the king of Syria is on his arm and he has to bow before Rimon. He knows he has to do this as part of his job, but he's already saying, I don't believe in Rimon, I only believe in Yahweh. So the text in the New Testament teach us how to understand this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. One thing we can say with certainty, it wasn't because of his obedience that he became a faithful, God-fearing believer in the one true God. It was because of God's gift and promise and his regeneration granted to him in the waters of the Jordan River because that's where the promise of God was. Interesting story, right? Not much in there about leadership or leader slip or anything like that. Let me continue reading a little bit more, though, because... Unfortunately, Gehazi sins, okay? Verse 19, Elisha said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian and in, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There has just now come from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give me a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. This is a lie. He sinned. He lied. Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver into, into two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took from them their hand and put them in the house and sent the men away and they departed. And he went in and stood before his master, Elisha, and said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. This isn't a story about leadership. It's about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's about sin and unrepentance and curses 
the curses that go along with that sinful rebellion against God. Very important that we understand this properly. And unfortunately, David Crank is not properly handling this biblical text, and he's not properly distinguishing between the law and the gospel, and he's making a grievous error in his interpretation of this text. Let me back it up just a little bit. Here again is David Crank. Brown. That is a problem. He gets back up number three times. He's looking at his staff. This better work. His arm's gone. His ear's gone. This better work. He comes up on the seventh time he's coming up. All the staff is looking, thinking, God, I hope it's true. He comes up miraculously. He's made whole. The leprosy is gone. And God has done what he said he would do. Give God praise for that. God's going to do that for you. But if you're a note taker, write this down. Obedience is the blessing exchange. You give me this, I give you that. Quid pro quo. Yeah, obedience, sure. But now, this, keep in mind, in order to say that you're obedient to God, you must be perfectly obedient. God doesn't grade obedience on a curve. He obeyed, then God blessed him. He runs back with all the chariots to the old man's house. He knocks at the door, says, God has healed me. I've got to bless you. Thank you so much. Can I give you money? And the old man says, don't worry about it. Go and be made whole. Now, Gehazi, the young man, he's looking, go and be made whole. That's easy for you to say. You're a millionaire yourself, preacher. What about me? I need some money. So he doesn't say anything. He waits till the old man leaves and goes back to his chambers. He sneaks off and he begins to chase this. Watch this. He starts chasing after the stuff. Some of you are chasing after the stuff instead of trusting God. Now, I want to press pause and tell you, God wants you to have stuff, but he doesn't want stuff to have you. So he's chasing. He finally gets up close enough for them to see him in the rearview mirror. They stop. It says that the commander got out. Naaman said, is that you, Gehazi? He said, it is. I'm coming up. I came because he told me that we, we want two chases of garment and some gold and some silver. He lied. I, I've never met a liar that wasn't a thief, and I've never met a thief that wasn't a liar. Oh, oh, he wants his stuff. She said, gladly. So he gives him all the stuff. Now so then, since you're lying about God's word, David, does that make you a thief? On the way back, he's trying on this killer suit, you know, this Armani. He's got it on. He's walking down. You can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to talk. I'm bringing sexy back. And while he's going to the house, he hides the stuff that he chased. And the old man says, Gehazi. Yes, my Lord. Where have you been? I've been nowhere. Yeah, you have. My spirit went with you. I saw you. I saw you slide into his garment. And now the leprosy that was inside the garment is now on you. He never thought about that. Turns white, the Bible says, like snow. And now he's a leper and he dies in leader slip. Instead of passing the test that Gehazi passed to leadership because he chased the stuff. Now, listen, God's going to give you what you need. But if you chase the stuff, you may get what you want, but you might not want what you get. Now, if I could just get him, I'll tell you, he'd make me happy. Look at the abs on him. If you got abs like that, you ain't got no job. I just say it. I tell my wife, we're at the pool. She's like, he's cute. I'm like, he ain't got a job. I work my butt off. I got to drink coffee to keep myself going. This is what this is? <laughs> oh, man, look at her. 
My wife's 40 now. I want to t- trade her in for 220s. You're not wired for 220, buddy. It'll kill you. You can't handle that. In your mind, you can. You're crazy. So, see, if you're chasing the stuff, you're chasing the corporate ladder, you're chasing the money. Listen, if you don't put God first, you're never going to come in with long-term success. Yeah, you never put God first, you'll never come in with long-term success. Boy, that's not even taught there in that passage, is it? Hmm. Well, here's part two of this sermon. Press stop. I want to take you on a journey that I never heard anybody go before. I was praying yesterday. I talked to God. He talks to me. He said, you know, you've never heard this before. But he said, you know, everybody always preaches about Gehazi, and there's, there's depth there. But he goes, let's talk about Elisha a minute. He said he got old. When you get old, you start picking your battles. He knew that young buck was going to do that, but he just didn't want to talk about it. I don't want to address it. Hopefully he won't do it. I want to pick my battles. Corporately, you have to be really careful as... So this is really Elisha's fault for not stopping Gehazi from, you know, brother. You begin to grow and more resources come into your hands and your disposal. You become lazy with the dollars. Then you hire managers and managers are great. There needs to be a healthy tension between the leader at the top and the managers. We have managers in every business that we run. Even at this church, we have managers. But what I found about managers, they have to have a healthy tension between me and them because a manager can manage to take away your motion and your momentum because they manage all your great ideas right down the drain if you're not cautious. They become like a high school counselor to all your employees. I got my one-on-ones with this guy. Well, I'm just not happy here. You know, I just don't know. I just blah, 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 blah. And then now they become the union rep for you, and you're not even union. You have to make sure there's a healthy tension between you as the leader and the managers. Okay, now, some of you are like, well, I'm never managed. I'm not a leader at all. You're the leader of your home. Let's go with your kids for a minute. There has to be a healthy tension between the husband and the wife. There can't be an I compete. There must be I complete. So if you're saying one thing, she's saying another, it doesn't work. So don't manage mom, don't manage dad to manage to take away all the authority of the disciplinarian of the house. Somebody has to say, the buck stops here. Shaquita, we told you to be here at 11 o'clock, not 11.02, not 11.15. 11 o'clock would be late. 10.59 would be on time. What on earth does this have to do with the story of Elisha, Naaman, and Gehazi? Unbelievable. Now it's getting quiet now because you're afraid of your kids. Let me talk to you for a second. <laughs> See, I, I, if I would just business uh, element right now, I just talk about business, but at church, we got to kind of go both ways. Yesterday, we had our upwards program, first time packed out. Awesome. Jim was great. My daughter is a cheerleader. She is eight years old. She thinks she's 28 years old. She is now done with cheerleaders. She's getting ready to put her jacket on. While she's putting her jacket on, she's got her phone in her hand, and she's trying to hold on to it. I think she's going to drop the phone. So I said, hey, let me hold your phone. She said, I got it. And I thought, why don't you want me seeing your phone? I said, I'll hold it. She said, no, I got it. And I thought, now we got to dig in your history on your phone. I got to look at all your text messages. Come on, y'all looking quiet. If you don't deal with it, it'll deal with you. Oh, yeah, look at that. I want to deal with it. Are you going to deal with me? 
you get tired. That last kid, you don't, my, my wife, she goes, uh, she tells my mother-in-law all the time, man, I wish I'd have been the last kid because Sarah gets to do whatever she wants. Sarah got a puppy. Couldn't have puppies in the house. Sarah goes out and her boyfriend comes over and stays all afternoon. I couldn't have no boys over. All this stuff, it just gets really loose toward the last one. <laughs> you guys look so disappointed. <laughs> you just, you're looking at me like, dude, no, I just want to praise God and go home. I don't want to deal with nothing. Don't make me go home and check a text message. Don't make me go home and tell Bob, you're not bowling on Monday night, going to Monday night football, then you're bowling on Tuesday night, and then you're going out with the friends playing tennis on Wednesday night, and then you're going out with your buddies on Thursday night. When do I fit in? Listen, woman, listen, sir. At some point, you've got to say, in this relationship, there has to be a healthy tension here, and we can't pretend that I don't need what I need, and you don't need what you need, because now you can... What does this have to do with God's Word? I, this is um, weird got me chasing other stuff and I don't need to go there and put something on I don't need to be putting on yeah I said it come on somebody give God praise up in here tonight uh what am I praising him for again you have to talk about the hard stuff now I don't like confrontation I hate it I hate doing what I call the 911 call. I had to do one this week in an organization we run. I had to call up and say, hello? Hey, how are you? Good. Listen, I want to talk about... You don't... Say, hey, listen here. Wait a minute. This is your 911 call. When I have to get involved, we got a problem. This problem is big. And we're going to have to deal with this problem. And I did it in the best way that I can because I don't like, I like to watch Donald Trump go, you're fired, but I don't like that. I like people. How many like me? And you're like, oh, man, I hate to tell them no. Three. The rest of you guys are jerks, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I like to be like, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and give you rest. May we meet again in that big camp meeting in the air. God bless you. And they go, am I fired? And I go, yeah, pretty much. Because I don't like to come out and say it. But listen, as a small corporation, everybody on the team has to give it all, all the way through. You can't have people laying around, locked up in a desk somewhere. You have to refine your mojo, keep the income high, outgo down. Because if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. You have to... Wow, yeah, I'm sure the business people from St. Louis in St. Louis are just flocking to hear this. They're, oh, I never thought, I never knew that. Who knew? Wow, these are pearls of wisdom coming from heaven. Now I can run my business. Keep your eye on the entire campaign the whole time. I got my little beady eyes on every segment of this church. I got my eyes on the nursery. You working in there? I want to see if you got a problem. I'm going to check you out. We're going to check your history out. We're going to know what your deal is. You got your eyes on helping in accounting? I don't even know how to get into the accounting office. But I know that we got cameras in there, and I know that the people that count the money have to have a job, and the people have to be tithing, because if they steal from God, they'd sure steal from the church. And if they're hurting for money, they'd be stealing. So if you're counting money and you lose your job, you also lose your offering job because you ain't stealing the money that's brought into the church. 
How many of y'all glad for a church like that? We, we don't be having no scandal. So you uh, just false doctrine regarding tithing. I, you know, yeah, love that. Yeah, that's great stuff. You got to have your beady eyes on every corporation that you run. You got to have your beady eyes on your little kids because kids can lie today like you never had a lie to you. Look you right in the eye and tell you a lie and I feel bad about it and you believe it. And then you walk away and that you get a, I think I've just been lied to. Anybody ever been lied to by a six-year-old, eight-year-old? They get good. You know what happens when you lie? Yeah, Gehazi thought he was pulling it off, and he didn't seem to be able to. Yeah. You lose all the change that's in your pocket. As a leader, you can walk into your office and have no more change in your pocket. I'm going to do good. I'm going to change. We're going to make it better. You can tell your... You can tell... uh, uh, your vendors, oh, we're going to make this right. We had this guy on the team, and he's terrible, and he really hurt you, but, but you know, we were underperforming. We're going to fix this. Fix it. Because eventually what's going to happen is they're going to find somebody else to service this account because you don't have any more change in your account. How do you get change back in your account? You- what if you're not a business person? Why? How on earth does this sermon have anything to do with discipling somebody who isn't a business person? You do what you say you'll do the way you said you will do it. You don't overpromise and underdeliver. You do the best you can with what you have. Now, every corporation and organization and family are going to make mistakes. We're going to do it. But then when you do make a mistake, here is the thing I love the most. I love it when I say, hey, what's going on here? And they go, man, I really dropped the ball on that. I'm so sorry. We're going to fix it. How I many of you can't eat them? Can't kill them? You go, well, what am I going to do with that? But what happens when you lose integrity, change is usually the people who you work for, there's a reason why they're the boss. There's a reason why they own the organization. They're not too simple. So when you start trying to tell a lie, what you're doing is you're emptying out all the change. And they go, I can never trust Jane. I can't really raise up Bill because he's lying to me. I have a friend here on the second row. He owns a bunch of Taco Bells and a bunch of Kentucky Fried Chickens. Let's just thank God for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Lord, we thank you for Kentucky Fried Chicken. It is finger looking good. When I was poor, we couldn't afford to eat there, so we'd just go there and lick other people's fingers, and it was awesome. But he and I were flying recently on a business trip and, and talking, and in the air, he said he, he, he let this guy go. He had to make the hard call. He let the guy go. When he let the guy go, it's, I think David Crank needs to give up his pastor job because he's not doing it. And uh, yeah, I think somebody needs to sit down and have that conversation with him. Maybe I can do. I can get a Donald Trump comb over, sit across the conference room table from him, and say, yeah, "David, yeah, listen, uh, I've been looking at your pastoral performance uh, metrics here, and uh, you really are not good at um, well, properly handling and preaching God's word. So you're fired. You know, I, I think that's what needs to happen here. I, I just for the you know for the safety of the uh, of the. Uh, of the sheep of Christ, uh, we. I'm sorry, you're just. This isn't your calling. I mean, your day job. You may be better at the business thing, but um, you, you're definitely not called for the pastor thing. Yeah, you're fired. He gave him a severance package a little bit, and he says, "You know, you're going to go find another job." He said, "I can't find a job. I can't. You can't do this to me, grown man. Degree. You can't, Mike. You can't. 
He said, yes, you can. You can go find another job. He said, that's yes. I've been looking for a job for two years. <laughs> what? All the change was out of the pocket. All the more obligation that he was feeling, all the guilt was gone. Mike's like, I've been looking for a job for two years. He's been under the leper leader slip, chasing something better. Now that he lost what he had at home, he wished he had it back. That goes for that 40-year-old woman. That goes for that 60-year-old man. He doesn't have a six-pack. He's got a cake. Yes, but he's got a job. He works in every organization, every corporation, every church. Leadership, leader slip. Be happy with what you got. Be comfortable with what you got. I don't like it that we still got these nasty pews in here. I don't like it that the carpet is terrible in this church. It burns me. But I don't have the $350,000 to buy new ones. So until we get leadership up to where your tithe check comes up nice and your offerings come in nice, then you're going to be sitting on this nasty pew. This is preaching? Now, when it's ultimately a good and it's right, you'll know it because I want massage chairs in here for everybody. Anybody? How many of y'all vote for the massage chair thing? Even if the sermon's bad, it was like, great massage. But every... Thing. Check this out. Write this down. Tattoo to your mind. Everything about you says something about you. Everything about you says something about you. Yeah, I got a verse for that. Now, as odd as it sounds, that's the abrupt ending for Leprosy Leadership Part 1 and Part 2 from David Crank. Um, I have no clue what any of that had to do with the Bible. Um Wow, um, Phil Johnson's uh, article really comes to mind here. The job of a pastor is to preach the word. So there you go, mega church pastor David Crank, tickling itching ears, um, scratching them, and telling people what they want to hear. Um, sure, that that I mean, there may be some tiny microscopic nuggets of business information that you might have gleaned from that, but believe me when I tell you, if you've been to B school or even read just an average layman's level business book um uh um or been in management training of any kind that's worth its salt then you didn't really hear anything that you needed in that particular sermon if you can even call it that i'm thinking i'm going to go beat my head against a brick wall now so anyway um if you <laughs> If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Yeah, Christian doctrine, way better than this stuff. Amen. <laughs>